Hello and welcome back to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, deliberate and dissect a movie chosen seemingly at random. And this month we have chosen Let the Right One In. Brian, this is your movie, so would you like to give a brief history of your involvement with it? Yeah, I mean, I've been itching to see this film again because when it originally came out in the UK, uh, which was, I think, 2009, I I put it as my favourite film of that year. I did a, did a top ten like I do at the end of every year and, and it, it was my favourite film. And I haven't seen it since, which, it, which is really bizarre for me because, you know, your favourite film of the year, you, you tend to watch it quite a few times, like, the nice guys from last year. I've already seen that a good three times since on on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Not seen this film since you know putting it right at the top. So yeah, I've been dying to watch it again. Um, but I just remember. I, I mean, at the time I watched it on my own because I was a projectionist, as I've said before, and I had to view prints. And I had to view the print for this film, and I'd heard a lot of buzz about it. Uh, I remember Mark Kermode really bigging it up at the time, and yeah, so I really wanted to watch it. I sat down to watch it, checked the print, and was absolutely blown away by it. Really got sucked in to the characters and the story and just the visual aesthetic, and yeah, put it as my favourite film So, of, of that year, of 2009. So I've been, yeah dying to watch it again and this gave me the good excuse um, This is one of those foreign movies and there seems to be one every year, every two years that everybody just goes and sees it gets so much press and so much praise that you can't really um, get out of its, its gravity, it pulls you in at some point and I saw it, must have been around about the same time as you, 2009 and I really liked it and, and after seeing it it stuck with me for a week or two and then just kind of left my head until uh, Matt Reeves' remake appeared. You know, let mm. me in. I saw that in the cinema. I, I liked that again. And I kept meaning to go back and revisit uh, Let the Right One In and I never quite got round to it. Um, mm. And then one time I was just checking through a, a, a second-hand charity shop and stumbled across the, the Blu-ray for a quid. And I was like, <laughs> that's fantastic. I'll take it. I'll add it to the collection. And again... I put it into my collection, but never got round to rewatching it. And it's strange because, much like you said, it wasn't my top of that year, but it was one of my favourites of that year. And it, it's one of those movies that you think, go, yeah, that was pretty good, but you don't have that drive or inclination just to throw it on one night. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. So picking this episode was was a great choice because it gave me the impetus to actually stick on this movie and yeah. you know fall in love with it all over again. Mm. So let's uh, get into some bits about it. So, Brian, do you have a synopsis for us tonight? I do. So, Oscar is a young teenage boy who is constantly being bullied at school. His parents are divorced and he lives with his mum. He's a loner who likes to play with knives, acting out revenge fantasies. He also collects newspaper clippings of local murder cases. Ely is the seemingly 12-year-old girl that has just moved in next door to Oscar. In reality, she is a vampire, her true age unknown. She lives with a man who, for all intents and purposes, could very well be her father. But he is not her father. He is her caretaker. He kills for her. He brings her fresh blood. But he's getting old, 
he's getting weary and it's time he was replaced. Ely befriends Oscar. She helps him to fight back against the bullies. She draws him close. She tells him her secrets. She lets him into her world. But has she truly let the right one in? That was absolutely fantastic, Brian. Very succinct and to the point. I love it. Let's jump straight into Let the Right One In. When I think about this movie and watching it this time around, I don't know if I get as much out of it the last time I watched it. I'm putting on a sort of analytical head when I'm watching these movies. And the thing that struck me, the one word that I can think of to describe this movie is relationships. It's yeah. all about personal relationships. It's relationships between Ellie and Oscar, uh, Oscar and his parents, Oscar and the bully, Ellie and Hucken, Hacken, I think his name is. Um, mm. It's all about relationships, with burgeoning new ones, dying old ones, uh, detrimental relationships, relationships where there should be strength. That's what I got through this movie. What was your instance that you grabbed to it? What did you think the movie was about as a, as a piece? Well, for me, it's, it's that nothing is as it appears. Right. Um, I, I think what the film does with most of the characters is they show you one thing, but then underneath there's something else entirely. And a lot of people say that this film is a love story. And I'm not so sure it is. I, I don't think it is. Um, and I think a lot of people as well, when they hear that title, Let the Right One In, they probably think it refers to the boy and how he lets this this girl in, into his life. You know, there's, there's the whole thing about letting... You have to let a vampire in. You have to invite them in before they can come into your house. And there's a whole scene that plays out really beautifully in the film about that concept. Mm. But I think the film is clearly actually about Ely um, letting the right one in. Mm. She's found this boy and she lets him into her life. And I think he's been very specifically chosen. Mm -hmm. I think right off the bat when she first finds him, she recognises that he's a particular type mm -hmm. of person, a particular type of psyche, shall we say, mm -hmm. um, and realises this is the right one. Mm -hmm. This is the, the next one that I need to take the place of the dude who basically is getting past it, the one who's helping me out. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene later on in the film when they've learnt to do this kind of tapping code on the wall. Yeah. And the, the guy who is cur her current helper, this old guy, the, the one who's going round, yeah. like slitting throats, getting blood for her, um, doing some really heinous stuff in order to, to help her out... This is essentially the guy that this boy, you know he's going to become mm -hmm. at some point in his life, which is really depressing mm -hmm. when you think about it. But he is lying on this bed and there's a tapping on the noise. Uh, there's, a, there's a tapping noise on the wall. And she just comes and really blasé about it, just says, move. Like, just no care for him whatsoever. Um, and at, at that moment, you kind of... You realise, I think, if you're paying attention, just how manipulative she is. Mm -hmm. 
um, and how everything is geared towards her survival. Absolutely. Um, I, think, I think it's definitely a movie about survival and manipulation. And mm. although Oscar is the main character in the movie, it's not Oscar's story, it's Ailey's survival, her, her continuing mm. story, how she, like you said, handpicks this boy, she sees that he's he's alone, he um, doesn't really have any friends, he's kind of lashing out, he's carrying a knife, he's doing um, kind of loner type of things, there's nobody around about him, and she kind of befriends him, manipulates mm. him, grooms him to, yeah. take her, to take the place of this carer, and it's not about like or friendship or warmth, um, it's about necessity, her ne- mm. need to survive relies on somebody to look after her because at certain points she can't look after herself during daylight and things like that. And you, you see this manipulation in Eli through several points in the movie. Um, when Hacken says something to her, I can't remember later on, she touches his cheek, but it's done in a very forced, not warm way. It's almost mimicking human emotion, but there doesn't seem to be, for her anyway, any emotion behind this. Yeah. Um, and I think she does it with Oscar as well when she climbs into his bed. You know, she's just doing what she thinks people do to manipulate other yeah. people. There, there's no almost emotion or feeling behind it. It's pure 100% manipulation. Absolutely. It's, it's all geared towards getting people to do what she needs them to do in order to survive. Um, and it's it's a really sad, depressing story because it, it, it's also a reflection on society and vulnerable people in society. You look at, you know, some of the things that go on in our society in which young kids like that are taken and groomed by people who are, are, are not the nicest human beings on the planet... Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of a reflection of that. It's just that it's done here through what looks like someone who's innocent mm. because they wear the, 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 the clothes of a child. Mm. This, this character is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. Um, and I, 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 I think if you go into this film and you, you come out of it thinking, well, that was a nice kind of <laughs> love story between these two characters, yeah. then you're deluding yourself and, and you're missing what is actually going on underneath. Mm. That, that's a, an interesting point. I'd really like to meet somebody that came out of this going, you know, that was a really heartwarming story, the two people finding each other, because it is anything, <laughs> but, anything but. That is a sad, uh, very sad story, like you said. This is about the demise of Oscar. For all intents mm. and purposes, he is on a certain path now. He's having a hard time at the moment. People do have hard times. It's getting over that hump kind of makes you the person that you are. You, you have to suffer uh, the woes to become a better person type of thing. And she comes in just at a pivotal point where he's just starting to become the person that he's going to be and she deviates his path. Mm. You know, she, she ruins his life, his life will never be the same after deciding to leave with Eli no. or Ellie. Mm. Um, and it's a, a, a very, it's the degradation of a person. It's the demoralisation. Yeah. It's, it's tearing a person asunder and creating basically a slave for her. And it's a terribly sad, sad mm. um, movie. And especially that bit at the end when they're tapping to each other and they're in the box. And you yeah. think it, it, it portrays itself as a positive ending. 
but yeah. it's a very sad one that leaves a bit of taste in the mouth when you know that Oscar's life is now null and void almost. And yeah, it, and it's quite symbolic as well because she is the one who's in the box, mm. visually speaking. You know, from from us looking looking at the image, she's the one in in the box. He seems to have freedom. You know, he can look at the world going by. But it's anything but. Mm -hmm. He is the one that is now trapped in that box. He just doesn't know it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and we look at the the character who poured acid on his face. Rather, yeah, I mean, pfft, what a brutal, brutal moment that is. But he, that that is the person he's going to become. Mm -hmm. Oscar is going to become that guy. Yeah. He's going to get to a certain age and wonder what the hell happened to his life. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really tragic character, that guy. Uh, did you say his name was Hacken? Ha Hacken, I think. And it's, Hacken, yeah. It's another interesting relationship in the movie because Hacken sees Oscar and he sees himself. He sees himself before he hooked up with Ellie and realises the path that he followed on. Now, this, he knows it's his path. He's resigned to it. When he's in the hospital mm. and Ellie comes to visit him, <clears throat> um, he gives himself freely to her. You know, blood to sustain yeah. the last thing he can possibly give. He has given his everything. His entire life has been in dedication to her, and he feels sad. He, tr he tries to stop Ellie from seeing Oscar, even if it's just for one night, just to try and break the the, the hold that's going on there. But ultimately, mm. he knows that his time has passed. We see that kind of early on when it's the the, the murder scene in the woods. Yeah. Um, and he kind of messes up a little bit when somebody comes across and, and uh, he goes home and he's getting berated by this little girl. Uh, yeah. And I think she realises then and he realises then that, he, that he's starting to make mistakes. And for what mm. he's doing to make her sustain, as soon as he starts making mistakes, sooner or later he's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's getting sloppy. And yeah. the thing there is like, <clears throat> is... Is it somewhat intentional? You know, you, you kind of feel like he's giving up the ghost, so to speak. His his heart isn't in it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, like, I mean, just... I mean, that scene as well, when he strings the guy upside down in the forest, it's really open. Mm -hmm. Like, when you look at the way it's shot, you know, and it's in this snow that really lights the place up. It's in a fairly public place. It it does feel like, yeah, he's not really trying all that hard to stay hidden. Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> that one there, I, I, I kind of let that away because it's in the, in the woods, it's night time, he could maybe get away with it. You don't know whereabouts logistically it is to the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and that's when he makes the mistake type of thing. I feel that the next one, when he's got the kid tied up in the school, is the yeah. more self-destructive manner because that is in a public place, that is where there's lots of people about and mm -hmm. he attacks somebody there in some place where he has nowhere to get away from. He's, uh. he's trapped, he's locked himself in and I feel that's the most self-destructive path that he takes there. Now just quickly when you mention um, the blood when he's uh, bleeding the person yeah. and this is something I thought about the movie when I looked at it. Everything that is shot that has a bit of gore, blood or violence is done almost matter-of-factly. You know, he's going about his job. It's, yeah. it's not personal. He strings the person up. He's got his little tub to catch the blood. Even things mm -hmm. like Oscar being whipped by the bullies. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't react with a... <sighs> or, ah, or 
or anything. He's quite mm. stoic and takes the beating. Even when his face gets whipped, he doesn't really show much emotion. It's all kind of just matter-of-fact violence. It, it's it's very mundane. Yeah. It's like the, this people these people deal with this stuff on a day-to-day basis to the point that it's become it's nothing to them. It's just it's 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 life, and it's actually only when Oscar fights back. Mm-hmm. When he whips the uh, the bully yeah. in the face, that that changes mm-hmm. because the, the the bully becomes very hysterical about it. Like he, you get the sense that he's never, no one's ever fought back before, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's like all of a sudden it, it becomes a big thing. Whereas the violence everywhere else in the film, like you say, it's just it's so mundane. It's mm-hmm. shot in such a way that it's just. It's almost like somebody going about the business and buying groceries or something like that. Um, but yeah, the, the guy when he's he's putting his case together, his little toolbox of tricks that he uses to do his job, and he doesn't think anything about it. He he cleans a knife that he has used for slitting people's throats so that he can cut an apple up. You know, was it was it an apple or something? He does something with this knife, basically, but then he cleans it off and puts it in his box so that he can then use it later to to slit someone's throat. And it's just, yeah, it's like it's nothing to him. It's just everyday business. Yeah, and that's another thing about hacking. Just as you're saying that there, um, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. I probably am not So that's just we'll just deal with that. Um, if Ellie got her hands on him at the same age as she got Oscar. She is almost stunting his growth as a person. You know, mm. he doesn't deal with many other adults. Whenever adults come up to Hacken to talk to him, he just kind of ignores them. One word answer, he gets away from him. And he's sitting in the, uh, the restaurant or the bar, and the other guys are drinking. He's got a glass of milk. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very childlike almost. He's subdued. Mm. She has become his only world, and he has not been able to socially grow or grow uh, 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 the way a normal person would. Yeah. I actually I actually missed that connection with the milk, but good spot on that. Definitely good shout-out. That's absolutely right. He is still a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah. It's just, just fantastic psychology, I think. But just everything about the film is just really well considered. Mm-hmm. Um, one character I would like to talk about is the father, Oscar's father. And it uh, again, there's this thing that on the surface things look one way, but then when you look underneath, it is actually not. And when you first see this guy, meet this guy, and you see him with his son, it looks like they have this really good relationship. Mm-hmm. They have this really good bond. They're playing with each other. They're doing stuff with each other. Um, and I kind of liked that. I, I really loved that that Oscar had at least had this place to go to, to get away from the bullies. But then this really dodgy, creepy friend of his father's comes round, and he, he, he like, I, I don't know about you, but I was picking up some weird kind of pedo vibe off him. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, thought that, I thought the film was going to go somewhere with that, um, that I didn't really want it to go, and thankfully it doesn't. But it's just, it's really disheartening to see just how quickly... Oscar's dad is willing to abandon his son in order to go have a have a drink with his buddy. You know, he just instantly gets the drinks out. Sorry, son, fun's over. 
you go off and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then you kind of you start to think about the marriage there mm-hmm. and why it's why that why his parents are no longer together, and you can see why they're no longer together. And it's like you know we don't we don't have to see their relationship, their history to know exactly why things have gone the way they have. Um, so again, it's it's that thing of showing and not telling. Uh, they, they they show you just enough in in the scenes throughout this film to allow you to read into it what what you need to to understand what's going on to to get these characters to understand who they are as fully rounded people. Yeah, something else I noticed, and and I could be making a, a wild stab in the dark here, but whenever the camera is watching Oscar and an adult interact. The, the adult is always, in most scenes, either far away from Oscar or the camera is shot at a low angle with the, the, the adult almost out of the frame, stretching mm-hmm. up through it. Or if they are next to Oscar, they're often just ignoring him. Yeah. yeah you know, that he, he seems distant from any adult figure throughout the movie. Whenever he's with his mum, his mum's kind of like lecturing him um, and she's kind of, the, the low angles and you don't really see much of her. Um, mm. The, the school teacher is far away from him whenever it's on the screen. Yeah. Um, whenever he's with the gym teacher doing these exercises, the gym teacher's not even watching. He's reading the newspaper most of the time, <laughs> or, you know, ignoring him. That there's no connection there with any adult. The only kind of connection he does have is with his father, and that is for a brief, brief moment mm. before again he's sidelined. Um, yeah, that could be a stab in the dark in that one, but I feel as if it's showing that sort of distance from. Any kind of adult patriarch figure in Oscar's life. Yeah, I mean, as as well, I just I just think like it's pointing towards the type of person that Ely needs. Um, this this is this is the profile, so to speak. You know, like if if Ely didn't come along and take him, groom him, I kind of have a slight suspicion that he would go on in later life to be a serial killer. You know, I, I feel like he's he's maybe got that pattern. I mean, we see him at one point collecting these newspaper articles mm. of murders, you know. He, th- this kid doesn't do himself any favours. <laughs> he's getting bullied at school and he's collecting newspaper clippings of, of murders, local serial killers and things. He has an interest in that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and I think he's... He's being pushed at, the, at this moment in time, maybe towards that lifestyle, towards that dark path. All that all that Ely does is notice it. She becomes aware of it, and rather than being a responsible citizen, rather than being someone who cares about this child's welfare and getting him help, um, you know, get, helping him at a psychological level. She doesn't. She uses it. She hones in on it, and she knows exactly how to manipulate him in order to turn him into what most likely he's already going to become anyway mm-hmm. if he doesn't get the right help. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, what about the, the, the adults, the other group of... I don't even know how to describe them. They seem to drink a lot, party a lot, and uh, just have general merriment. These group of people that... <laughs> to punctuate the story um, what did you make of these group of characters yeah I, I, I think if 
I, I think if we were Swedish and we, you know, we grew up in Sweden, I think we might get a lot more out of these characters because there are a few references in there about Russians and Rus- Russian immigrants and whatnot. And I feel that there's some kind of socio socio-political thing going on there that would probably have more relevance if you were aware of the politics of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they seem to reflect the, the run-down nature of... Of the of of the people, or a particular generation of people, people who have no kind of real direction, have no real focus. Their their lives are just spent kind of, yeah, drinking and drowning their sorrows and and talking about old times, pastimes, and mm-hmm. w- with nothing really to look forward to in the future. Yeah, currently, it's almost like a current. Um commentary on this nostalgia that, that seems to perpetuate life at the moment where everybody's looking back, nobody's looking forward. Yeah. You know, remember that good old time, never look forward to something that's going to happen in the future. Um, but, yeah. um, but one of these people, the woman in particular, has something happen to her when she's attacked and she starts to become a vampire. Hmm. Um, what did you make of this whole scene, especially the one that's in, in the... Um, well, we have the cat scene. Yeah. Um, which doesn't look nice. No, it's, it's it's the one downside of the film. Um, if you know, if if, if I if I was going to criticise the film for anything, it would obviously be the CGI cats. Um, they clearly didn't have the budget or the the expertise to to compete with Hollywood mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, but it it really doesn't bother me because it's it's a small thing within what is a really great film. Uh, but I love. These scenes of seeing her change mm-hmm. um, when she's coming to terms with it, getting to grips with it, mm-hmm. and there's, there's the moment when she goes round to their house just just before the cats all basically pile onto her, and her face looks really withdrawn, looks really withered, and she, she looks horrific, mm-hmm. you know. And it, they've they've not done a right lot to her; they've done just enough to kind of make her look really off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a great look at someone changing from you know from a, from a human into a vampire, and it's it's not romanticized no. in any way, you know. You, yeah. it's, so, I've got a question: So, like in, in most like say Hollywood type movies, you have the you get to see the scenes of people transforming into vampires and discovering their powers and their limitations and all that. Do mm. you think um, she just has an awareness? of her new abilities or, or limitations? I, I, I don't think she has much of a clue of what's going on, to be honest. I think... See, I, 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 think... I, I, had, I had something that... Well, when, when we get to the scene where she asks for the, 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 the windows, asks for some sunlight, yeah, she seems to have got to a point where she, she says she can't continue, she doesn't want to continue living just before yeah. she asks for the the blinds to be opened, and I'm like, is that like a, a almost asking for like a mercy kill, asking for the sunlight to come in because she knows it's. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's. I, there's no doubt about that. I think she is. She's killed herself mm. in that scene, but she knows the effect that sunlight's going to have because we see in the previous scene when she wakes up in the morning and there's a shaft of sunlight coming through and it burns her. Mm. Um, so I, 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 I don't think there's a like a, a huge awareness there of what it is she's becoming. Mm. Um, I just think that 
she, she's had you know she's had that little moment with the sunlight it really hurt it burnt her and she figures look i need to get out of this um i can't i can't slit my wrists i can't put a gun to my head because they've got me tied up um but i know that this this is the, it's the only option she's got if she wants to take care of herself now as in get rid of herself that's the only option that's open to her because at the moment she's tied to her bed as a mental patient and i remember thinking the first time i watched it i, I wasn't keen on I, I like the cool effect of her just burning up i, I thought it was great mm. but I wasn't keen on the whole sideline of these group of people, but this time around I actually liked it because it gives an insight into Ely's drive condition. for Condition. Yeah, condition. That, that mm. this, so it, it feels almost like an itching, gnawing sensation, even though you can't you can't feel these, but you have that sense from that woman that it's just, it's always going to be there, it's always going to be scratching just below the surface to let her out to yeah. get that need. And then you put that into this calm, controlled Ely who... We have no idea how long she has been around, um, no. trapped in this young body. Um, and it just sort of gives you an idea of the control that she has to have. Um, but we see her control falter at one scene as well when uh, Oscar cuts himself, wanting to uh, yeah. become mixed blood friends. Yeah. And she, and she hold it back. A, really a, creepy scene. Yeah. Um, I, I always hate in films. <laughs> Things things that scare me, um, anything to do with demons, that kind of thing. You know, like the, the Conjuring is a film that scared me, but also old people and children. Um, Oof, and terrifying. Th- yeah, I mean, there's there's actually a bit in Lord of the Rings that the first time <laughs> I saw it really scared the crap out of me, and it's when Bilbo. In just in an instant, he sees the ring. Yeah. It's, it, Frodo's wearing it, and just in an instant, his face grows super old and gnarly, and he and he kind of ah, jumps out. And and that bit when I first saw it, it really sent a shiver down my spine when I was sat there in the cinema. It came completely out of the blue. <laughs> and this this was the same. You know, you you see her going down, licking the blood off the floor, mm. but you don't expect her to look up look up with this old person's face mm-hmm. and just yeah it, it just because i'd completely forgotten about it like yeah. i say last time i watched this was in 2009 I, I i knew that i knew that scene was coming in the sense that she she goes for the blood but i so totally didn't remember the bit where she turns into this kind of old person um and it just freaked me out i'm sat there watching it in the dark and this horrible shiver just went down my spine and I was like, oh, that's just gnarly. Mm. Um, but yeah, creepiest scene in the film, I'd say. Uh, I suppose we'd better talk about the actors, uh, whose names I won't uh, bludgeon to death here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they're excellent. The, the two yeah. kid actors, even hacking the older guy. Now, everybody seems to be really good, yeah. but the two kid actors, Eli and Oscar, are absolutely terrific. I mean, it's... Outstanding. Yeah, I mean, and... and the kid that plays Oscar is really good, but that's a more conventional type of role. The kid mm. that plays Ely is absolutely out of this world. Her role is much stranger, and she really puts that odd, strange mm. movement across when you see her just standing atop the the jungle gym type of thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. She just has a weird way of moving and controlling herself. It, it's terrific. Mm. Just some of the things there that's required of them as actors, um, the the psychology, like I say, that the that they have to get into mm-hmm. in order to understand those characters. Um, 
it's staggering, you know. It's it's the kind of thing you would give Oscars out to to to, to much older actors for for getting their head around and for for sinking their teeth into. If you pardon, excuse the pun, um, but yeah, excellent performances. One of the things that I noticed as well when I was watching this is. The guy that plays Hacken, um, as we're calling him, uh, I'm sure loads of people will correct us on that at some point, but he really looks like Richard Jenkins. Yeah, I thought that as well. The Big guy time. Who played yeah. Yeah, and I was like, when he first came on screen, I'm like, oh, I, d- I didn't realise Richard Jenkins played him in both the films. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, what's her face from Vanilla Sky and Open Your Eyes? Uh, Vanilla She played. Yeah, Penelope Cruz, she played the part in both, you know, the original and the remake. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realise. And then they're like, oh, no, hang on. No. Yeah, it's, it's that's uncanny. Not, that's not him. Yeah, it's it's really uncanny. Like, you can you can see why they uh, why they cast Richard Jenkins. I mean, Richard Jenkins is a fantastic actor yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just the icing on the cake. The fact that he looks like this guy that they've got, you know, to, to play in this role. So... Mm-hmm. That that's just an aside to the remake, which I've not actually watched all the way through. I watched the first fifteen minutes and then I just kind of didn't bother because, yeah, it, it felt it felt a bit pointless to me. I mean, maybe one day I'll get around to it, but it's it's very very similar to this. Mm. Like anyway, guys, there is um, if I remember correctly, there is one noticeable change in the remake, and I think they allude to the fact that. Ely in the remake is a boy that's been neutered. Yes. Um, that's not mentioned yeah. here in this one. Although she does. Oh, no, this one is. This one is. I mean, she does say oh. several times, like, I'm not a. But it doesn't. Does oh, it? you missed something. Yeah. You missed something. I, I think I have. Big time. Go on, you then, see then. the fact that she's been castrated. Do you? I she don't... is, yes. She is not a she at all. She is a he. I know she keeps on saying it, but I didn't. I didn't see this. So explain to me no, the scene I've missed. No, right. So basically, when she um, walks into Oscar's apartment without being invited, mm. and she starts bleeding, um, Oscar gets gets her to go and have a shower, and then she she changes. He goes and gives her some clothes of his mum's to change into, mm. and she goes into the bedroom to get changed, and he peeps through the crack in the door. And we see this, it's it's literally blink and you miss it, which clearly you did. (laughs) Um, But it's like literally full on uh, shot of the crotch with a big scar down it, showing that at some point she clearly had a wiener. She is, in fact, a he. Um, Ellie is Eli. (laughs) Yes, Ellie is Eli, indeed. Um, But yeah. Right. So, like I, I say, not nothing is as it appears. Um, yeah. But you, you, like, what do you read into that? Knowing that, knowing what you know now, that she is indeed a he. Mm-hmm. What do you read into that? I, I, do you know? I'm, I'm not too sure. See, my my, and now my understanding is that in the book of this, they did actually go into it somewhat. Right. I don't know what that explanation is. If they even indeed it did go into it um but my reading and this is like i say purely based on the film i have no other source to go on um so this is just how i read it as a viewer i feel like 
he needed to become a girl in order to be able to get these 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 men to do what he or she needed um again it's that survival thing it's uh i i don't think she would have as much luck do, um enticing these guys into becoming her soulmate essentially mm. if if she was a he um like I say, I'm completely pulling that out of thin air. Um, it would make sense, yeah. Mm, yeah. But it, it's, yeah. Perfect sense. Um, I think, it, I don't really have much more to say, I don't think, but one thing I really want to talk about is the cinematography. Mm. And apart from... From one of my favourite cinematographers, I must say. Um, the images are almost static. Or they feel that way. Yeah. Of them. They feel like pictures, um, very still. Mm. And I found it almost mesmerising watching some of these images, yeah. especially with the snow. Um, mm. It seems to punctuate every scene. It just... It was... It was very calm. Very yeah. ca- very calming watching this. Or I found it anyway. I found it, like I said, hypnotising <laughs> imagery. So what mm. about the cinematography? What do you think yourself? Oh, all of it. I, I mean, this, this guy... Uh, let me see if I can pronounce his name properly. Hoyt van Hotema. Um, he he shot Interstellar, um, and he's, he's shot quite a few other films that I really love. And you know, when when people think about cinematographers, instantly they think Roger Deakins. They think um, Fister, Wally Fister. W- w- Wally Fister. Um, they also there's the other guy who. Does a lot of the Villeneuve, De, uh, Denis, Denis Villeneuve films. Um, his name completely escapes me right now. Uh, he did the Revenant as well. I think I think he did the Revenant. Um, but yeah, anyway, he he's he's won he's won like back to back Oscars uh, in the past few years for for his cinematography. But yeah, Hoyt Van Hotema for me needs to be considered up there with those guys easily. I, I, yeah, absolutely love his work, um, and just as much so here. Like you say, very still kind of shots. You know, he's, he's he allows you to see what's going on. He's, he's not into that whole MTV. Let's shake the camera all over the place to hide things. Um, you see everything, um, and it's beautiful, but it's also horrific. Um, it's inviting, but it's also very cold. It's 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 oppressive, um, but yeah, like I say, beautiful. Right? Um, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Mm. Um, I think I'm just about done here for for things. Do you have anything else you want to talk about, Brian? The bullies. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the the bullies for a little moment. Um, just again, coming under the the theme of. Things not appearing what they seem. We, we we have this 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 little kid who's a bully, and he has these two lackeys that he has with him. He's, he's a real bastard, basically. Um, you know, there's, there's this one moment when Oscar comes back from uh, some gym practice, and he finds his pants in a urinal. And and when I see that, I just ah, oh, it. It, it gets me riled. I mean, if, if there's one thing I hate more than anything, it's it's bullies. All right, it's, it's bullying. Mm. Um, but this this film isn't. It, it it's not content 
to settle on just showing you these guy, this guy, this kid, as a bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, because when we get towards the end of the film and we see his brother, we start to get just an inkling of where this comes from, yeah. where his behaviour comes from. His older brother is clearly a bully himself, um, clearly makes him kind of... He's forced to look up to him in a way, uh, you know, and he, he, you feel like some of this behaviour, some of this bullying behaviour is almost a way to to gain attention from his brother or to, to appear well, I think you, like a you man. You get the feeling that it's generational. I mean, you could probably see the father being like this as well. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. And, and that's, you've just reminded me of one thing that I did want to talk about, and this was one of the most important things I wanted to talk about, the swimming pool scene. Mm. Probably done out of necessity because um, budgetary reasons or not knowing how to really shoot it and give it an effect. And what they've done by doing a low-key manner is created one of the most high-energy, energetic, visceral images where you really don't see much at all. And it's fantastic. It really does prove the point that less is more. It really is. I mean, and even going back to that opening killing when when he strings the guy up in the tree and slits his throat you don't actually see him slit the throat you don't you the only time you see blood is when you see it pouring into a cup but you never see knife touching skin mm-hmm. um it, it's all it's all shot from behind him as he's doing his work um so yeah it, you come away from those scenes and i think you feel like you've seen much more than you actually have it, it, it leaves up to the imagination and the imagination is much worse than anything they could actually show you on camera mm, definitely um, the, the, the only other thing I will say is I do wish Oscar carried some tissues with him because there is not a single point in this film where he doesn't have snot dripping from his nose and it's just gnarly <laughs> <laughs> Um, another thing, another another good use of special effects as well, I'd say, is um, Ely's eyes. There are times in this film when her eyes appear to be really big, and and you can't quite tell if it's actually the the actress's real eyes or whether they've done something with effects. Uh, but going back and looking at it, rewinding it, kind of pausing it. I, I am convinced that they've done some effects work in some of these shots. And there's, there's, there's definitely in some, because uh, she has these cat-like eyes. Um, she's got the, the very same shape that cats have with their eyes. Um, rather than it being round, it's this kind of... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, whatever, yeah. whatever that shape is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's quite effective, I think. Again, it's one of them things where if you're not paying attention... If you're not staring at the screen and examining everything that's going on, you miss it. But it does just enough to make things seem off, to to just make it not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something's something's really off balance, off kilter with this girl. Yeah. Um, anything else, Brian? Are you all done? The only thing I will say, and then can move on, is just going back to the whole idea that Ely is manipulating Oscar. There's a moment where she lets him 
kiss her. They they kiss. Mm. I think she actually might go. She might be the one who goes in for the kiss. Um, but she has her eyes open the whole time, so she she's not it. She's not into that kiss. She's literally gauging his reaction. She's she's manipulating him. Mm. So if anyone's in any doubt, just watch that scene. She's completely got him enthralled and she she isn't even paying attention to what's going on with the, with the kiss she's not in that moment in that sense she's just yeah she's she's reeling him in reeling him in like a fish mm. uh but yeah there you go right okay so like i said i hadn't seen this since uh, 2009 roughly at the same time as you and i feel or i'm beginning to feel very foolish for not giving us mm. a rewatch a lot earlier than what I did. I, I think yeah. um, on several levels, the movie is an absolute masterpiece. I think visually it is stunning and it's got a great sound mix, but I don't think we really mentioned how it really drops the sound out of things and it tries to give sound mm. to even kind of snow and things, that the elements, it, it, it's, it's very well constructed. The story yeah. itself is something that could be taken on a very face value um, way but has a lot more deeper meaning when you dig below the surface and you look at what the actual characters are thinking or the way they're trying to manipulate people and I think it's a, it's a movie that deserves your full attention and it'll be so rewarding when you actually get what it's really telling you the messages into it I was mm. enthralled with Let the Right One In not 100% because obviously I missed that scene <laughs> that we talked about but um, I loved it I found it mesmerising. Uh, it was a terrific movie. It's one that I'm going to go back to again a lot sooner than what I last did. Mm. Hopefully, when I think back to it now, I'll think of how stunning the cinematography is, how rich the story is. And um, for me, yep, again, it's another five out of five. Mm. Yeah. Um, I I think one of the reasons I it took so long to go back to this is that... I was a bit scared that it wouldn't hold up. Mm. I was a bit worried that... Because I do that sometimes. Uh, I watch a film and I, I go ballistic for it. I'm, I'm telling everyone about it. And it, like I say, it becomes my favourite film of the year. And then uh, <laughs> I'll watch it again like a, a, a while later and I'll be like, ah, oh, it, it's good, but it just doesn't have the same impact. Mm. And I think I was a bit worried that this would be one of those films. And I'm so glad that and and maybe that's down to me watching it so long after. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be leaving it so long next time because, yeah, on second viewing, it really does hold up. Uh, five out of five from me. Like you say, it's, it's, it's so rich in its storytelling and its character development in the things you're seeing on the surface. And if you dig deeper, you get so much more. You see, it's like an iceberg, you know, you see the little bit on top, but there's so much more underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it works It works well as a warning to society, just for the kind of people, of which there are many, like Oscar, you know, these loners, these, these kids who were bullied at school. We've got to be careful because monsters come along, monsters exist, real-life people, they don't look... They don't look like vampires, but they do exist. And be careful because, you know, th- this film shows us where they end up. It shows us the, the, the direction they're heading in. Um, yeah, really great film. 
five out of five. Okay. So would you want to tell us what your top five was for this episode, Brian? Absolutely. Um, the top five for this, I decided on horror movies not in the English language. Mm. Now, before mm-hmm. we continue, what do you classify as horror? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's different for different people, isn't it? I, for me, horror is a film that gets under the skin in a way that horrifies you. I mean, the, the, ho- that's what horror means, isn't it? Horror mm. is to horrify if 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 it if it's done with the intention to horrify you and it succeeds then it is a horror film um and admittedly there are films that are pre- predominantly something else usually thriller it's predominantly a thriller but with elements of horror in there um but yeah i you know i'm sure there'll be some films on my list that we can argue about with I that think, in mind but i think there's a, i think four out of my five are most definitely straight horror movies. Yeah. One of my list is a thriller that has stuck with me since I saw it and has horrified me since I saw it because right. of the extent of what the characters are having to go through. But it doesn't contain horror elements that most mm. movies do. But we'll get yeah. to that. So I also Well if if I if I if I look at, say, a thriller, you know, a definite thriller like sleeping with the enemy, it doesn't horrify me. Mm-hmm. You know, it thrills me. That's that's the aim of a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if I look at my number four choice, which we'll get into when I get there, I think a lot of people would say that that it's it's mainly a thriller. It's mainly designed as a thriller. But when I look at some of the stuff that goes on, when I remember some of the scenes in it, they don't thrill me. Mm-hmm. They horrify me. So to me, that's a horror. Um. Okay, do you have any honourable mentions or anything that you want to throw out there, first of all? I don't, actually, on this one. Um, I actually do, because I was doing a wee bit of research into this one, because I, I, I had to whittle this down properly, and there was a lot of movies, so... A couple of honorary mentions that I have. Um, I've got uh, Battle Royale, mm-hmm. um, which is, is one of my favourites, but I, I feel as if it's not... It's more kind of action that is horror, but although it's horrific what yeah. happens to these kids, uh, it was on my list. Um, one that just made it off, just made it off, was Rare Exports. Have you seen that? I've, I've not seen that one, um, no. That is terrific. Um, it's a kind of Christmas-centric horror movie. Right. Um, it, the best way to describe it is... It's almost like a, a European ambling movie, kind of along the gremlin sense, only where they don't really pull their punches in it. Um, it's a group of kids who discover that Santa is real and he is going to decimate the world if he gets out. <laughs> um, it's lots of fun. It's very kid-centric. I, I, I would equate it to an ambling movie. And um, mm. another one is John the Grudge. That oh, is, okay. Um, on my list as well. Now... There were some movies that I wanted to put on, but it's been so long since I saw them that mm. when I thought about the movies, I couldn't, I couldn't really remember much about them that I, I wanted to put on my list. And those were uh, Wreck and Kronos. Right. Okay. Uh, movies that I saw years ago 
I think Cronus I saw must have been close to 20 years ago. Um, yeah. uh, so I'm not comfortable putting that on the list. And there's a little addendum, just to add more movies to this list. Movies that I have <laughs> uh, picked up and I've just not got around to watching yet that seem to populate a lot of, a lot of like best horror uh, lists mm. were uh, A Tale of Two Sisters. I've seen that. Um, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Saw the Devil, which is one that I really want to get to at some point. Uh, the Devil's Backbone. And I've seen that. Finally, one that I know you have seen, and one that I am desperate to get to, I'm just waiting for the right moment, and that is Audition. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I, I think personally Audition works... I, I, not knowing anything about it. Well, um, that's the thing. I know nothing about it. For some reason, I've managed to keep myself away from anything other than people going like, <sighs> ooh. And then, did, 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 have we not discussed that in the past then? Did I not tell you the ending no, to that? No, please don't. Right, okay. No, I won't. Yeah, just... I'm not going to say anything. Right. Nothing. Right. Um, but but like, the, the thing is, that the fact that people have gone, <sighs> ooh, I, I think even that... Even that is a spoiler. Right. Because um, you have to bear in mind, I sat down, uh, watched this thing. Uh, I was flicking channels. It, 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 it was on. I started watching it. And as far as I was concerned, I was watching some Korean rom-com. Not, not 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 so much emphasis on the com, but more more emphasis on the rom. So some kind of romance drama. Mm. I was sat there watching a romance drama, which I was actually quite getting into. Yeah. So when you watch it, watch it with that in mind. Yeah, I'll try my best, but I do know it's a Takeshi Miki movie, and uh, those yeah. don't usually end up as <laughs> romantic. Movie. Yeah. So who wants to go first here, Brian? Uh, uh, yeah, I'll go first. Why not? Um, Number five for me is The Eye. This is directed by the Pang Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, they did an awful remake with Jessica Alba. I, I wouldn't say it was awful. I just think if you've seen the original, it's a bit moot. It's it, it's it's just pointless, um, as so many remakes are. But, yeah, it has a scene in a lift which... I, I'm not the biggest fan of lifts in general, to be honest. I'm, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. Not mega claustrophobic, but just a little bit. And this this one scene with this guy in the lift, you know, it, it's just, ugh, yeah. The, ba- the basic story is she gets given these new corneas to, so that she she's given sight. Mm-hmm. You know, she's never had sight before, so she doesn't know that some of the things that she's seeing are actually... They're not natural, you know. <laughs> so she's seeing dead people and, and things. And, and, yeah, pretty soon she starts to realise this ain't right. Um, but there's one particular scene in a lift that really freaked me out when I watched it. And I was just like, get out of the lift! Um, but, yeah, yeah. Re- really good, eerie, creepy film. Yeah, I've not seen that one. Yeah, I'll mm. add it to my watch list. Yeah, number five on my list is a movie that I watched fairly recently, and it's called The Wailing. It's a Korean movie. Um, it's a, a, a possession movie, a demon possession movie, but it mixes in the thematics of faith quite a bit. I think you would quite enjoy it because of that. Faith and belief become a very okay. big part of this movie. And I wanted to see this for a while. Um, it's two and a half hours, 
so it's, it's, it's long, it looks amazing, and the story is absolutely enthralling with some amazing key scenes. There is a an exorcism movie, uh, an exorcism movie, an exorcism part that is gobsmacking. It just it just goes on for so long and it's crazy. Um, and that's like midway through the movie. Um, I, I I thought it was the climax. Um, <laughs> I was just like, wow. Um, but the movie subverts a lot of things about it, whereas it has people saying one thing but meaning something else. It's very duplicitous in its nature. It's got some horrific scenes in it as well. It's very much a horror movie and it's one of the best um, horror movies, foreign horror movies that I've seen, uh, as it's on my top five, but recently as well. I would strongly recommend this movie and um, the less you know about it, the better. Okay. All right. Um, just before I move on to my number four, a honourable mention popped into my head actually, okay. uh, and that's the that's the host, uh, <laughs> yeah. another another Korean Korean monster movie. Um, but yeah, re- really good one. Um, uh, but my number four choice is a film called Mute Witness, which I don't know if you've seen. Yes. Um, right, excellent. Um, I saw this when I was in my teenage years. I, I saw it quite a few times. In fact, I've, I've not—I've actually not seen it since. But I did watch it enough times to, to warrant putting it on this list. You know, it's—it's it's not one of them ones that I just watched once and can't remember. But yeah, it's basically about this: this woman who is is mute, and she witnesses, hence mute witness, a snuff film being being shot. Uh, she works at this TV network and after hours when they've closed the place down she's, she's kind of she's kind of left there working, doing, doing some stuff late at night and they, they don't realise it and some people who work at the studio they come back into the studio to use, to use it um, in order to shoot this snuff film <clears throat> and she witnesses it and they they basically hear her, you know, she, she she does something that gives herself away. And the rest of the movie is her trying to get away from these people and trying to trying to explain to, to, to people that matter what, what is going on. Um, but it's a really tense movie, really claustrophobic movie. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just something that carries with it a, a real sense of dread throughout, uh, from what I remember mm-hmm. about it. Uh, so, if, if, yeah. It's probably one that's a bit forgotten nowadays. Yeah, but... I think that was out in the late nineties, if I remember. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah mid, 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 well, maybe early nineties actually, because when I saw it, yeah, so yeah. early to mid nineties, I think. Yeah, uh, I think the cover was was it her in the bath or something like that? I seems to remember. Um, I, I think mm, I've actually got that I'd... DVD. Oh right, mm. well, I, I've not seen it for a long time, yeah, but she, I myself, I've yeah. not seen it in a long while. Yeah, I, I think I think it's her sat in the bath with her hand over her mouth or something. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember it was pretty good, but you know, again, it's been say twenty years since I saw it, so I'm not confident mm. uh, really commenting on it too much. Yeah. Uh, my number four is a movie that just scared the crap out of me when I was young, um, because simply put, I, I shouldn't have been watching this. There's no no way I should have watched it. This is a 1985's Demons by uh, Lamberto Bava. Yeah. It was an Italian horror movie. It's set in a movie theatre, so it's got a couple of my favourite things going on here. It's horror, and it's set in a movie theatre. Kept me in. Um, so <laughs> basically what it is, is, is somebody 
picks up a decorative mask that's on the wall, puts it on their face and it scratches them. And then the movie starts and they start to become a demon. It's almost like a zombie virus type of thing. And it's It sounds like the mask, but Yeah. A, a twisted version. <laughs> and it spreads as they attack other people, kind of spreads like a zombie virus. Um, and wow. the, 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 the zombie-ish people are grotesquely say, mutilated and they look horrible and they're just, oh, disgusting. And it's stuck with me uh, all these years. I, I've seen, there, there's a sequel to it and a, a kind of third part that's not really part of it type of thing because the Italian movies just kind of do that they whip out a, yeah. a sequel when it's not their property um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a terrific movie um, I think it's great okay uh, yeah my number three is The Orphanage um, now the, the guy who made this whose name escapes me right now um, oh yeah, so his name's just completely gone out of my head, but he he's, he makes British, like English language films now. So he, he made The Impossible, Is which I thought. If, J. A. Pardon? J. A. Yes, J. J. A. Bayona. Yeah. Um, so he made The Impossible, which I thought was an okay film, but maybe a little bit overhyped. Um, but he also made uh, When a Monster Calls or A Monster Calls, which I thought was a fantastic film. Terrific. Um, but this this was his first, and it is really good. Uh, really sets out his style as a director to watch. Vis- visually stunning and just great storytelling. You know, it's it's a it's a ghost story, but it's emphasis on the story. And all the best horror films, you know, you look at the one we've reviewed tonight. The emphasis is on story. The emphasis is on character. Mm-hmm. If you get that right, that stuff right first, and you build the horror into it, that to me is when a horror movie works best. Um, okay, my number three is Let the Right One In, which we have just spent the best part of an hour talking about. So we'll step by this. <laughs> okay, uh, my number two is Let the Right One In, which we've just spent the best part of an hour talking about. So we'll move on to your number two. Uh, my number two uh, is Ringu. The, the movie that sort of kick-started the J-horror thing that perpetuated mm. the sort of 90s. Um, this was the movie that gave us uh, Sadako, uh, or Samara yeah. in the remake, uh, yeah. and, and gave us that really creepy imagery all the way through it, the videotape, the, the, the haunting mm. sound and images, and uh, Sadako crawling through the TV, the long-haired Asian girl that haunts everybody's <laughs> nightmares. Um, yeah. It was such a such a strange and compelling image that it literally did transcend its, its country and come all over the world. Uh, it got the inevitable remake that was actually turned out to be pretty good. Better. I, better, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think I may have more love for this film if I hadn't seen the American one first. Mm. Um, I, I I watched the American one and I thought it was a really good film. It was one of the better oh, horror yes. films I'd seen in a long time. Um, and a, fr- a friend of mine, she she was mad on the Japanese version. Uh, she like it was her favourite film at the time. I don't know if that's changed, but at the time, yeah, she loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I I watched it and I just I I. I, I, 
I was not enough, to be honest. I, I got really, really bored in it. And I don't know if it's just because, like I said, seeing that remake, so I knew all of the, uh, all of the beats that were coming. And I, I didn't, w w even when they happened, I, I just didn't find them scary at all. I felt like the, the, the American version had shot them better. And I, th I think I'd be more inclined to change my opinion if I, if, if I hadn't have also been bored by the, the sequel, the first sequel to the Japanese one, which again was done by Hideo Nakata. Uh, and also the sequel to the American one, which was done by Hideo Nakata. Um, and again, I, I was bored in that. And it's, it's, it, it's bizarre. I just, I just feel like whatever it is about Nakata, that you know, his sensibilities, for some reason, they send me to sleep. Um, his style of directing, whatever it is. I've seen three of his movies, one of them an English language one, and they've sent me to sleep. And yet... Ring O, uh, the third film in that in that Japanese trilogy, mm -hmm. different director, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I think it's a different director, and that to me was the most intriguing of the three. That was that was the one that scared me the most, uh, that made an impact on me. So yeah, I'm 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 chalking it up to the director, uh, but for me personally. I rate the American one much highly, uh, much no, more higher, I should um, say. I, I'm with you on that one. I, I do prefer mm. uh, the, the remake. I think Gore Verbinski has a little bit of style to it that it, it, it mm. required, and there's some additional scenes. Um, yeah. And I think it's one of the better like remakes, you know, in a, in a world kind of populated by remakes that we have just now, to take something mm. and really put your own stamp on it like he did was tremendous. Um, Definitely. Ringo is on my list because I, it, it started such yeah. a movement and created that say, image of the long haired girl that kind of, mm. so that's why it's, it's kind of on there but yes uh, the American remake is better yeah so Brian give it to us give us your, your number one okay my number one um, is Pan's Labyrinth Guillermo del Toro uh, just an astounding film uh, some people may argue it's more thriller than horror, uh, but you know it's it's got monsters in it. It's got some brutal violence in it. Uh, a particular scene involving a broken bottle, which is more horrific than anything that this girl can think up with regards to monsters, which I think is the point of the film. Uh, you know she she lives in a world of genuine human monsters uh this this one guy who is just yeah he, he is a horror film uh, and wh where does she retreat to in her imagination if that's if that's if that's the reading you want to give to it that is she retreats to a world of fantastical monsters fantastical beasts um yeah so i, I you know I, I think it's talking about the horrors of the world and it's just a, yeah like i say once again you concentrate on story, you concentrate on character, and everything else follows. Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant film. Not just a brilliant horror film, but just a brilliant film, period. Um, I've never seen it. You've never seen Pan's Labyrinth? Nope, I've got a copy. Is that about? Oh! <laughs> um, so I, um, Unbelievable. Um, 
So, I wish I could join in the conversation here, but I'll need to take it at face value. I need to see it. I'll get it added to the list and and check it out soon enough, Brian. Um, So, let's get to my number one, the most probably divisive one on my list as well. Now, uh, I'll explain my reasoning, but I'll tell you the movie straight off as Old Boy. Ah, yes, yes. Now, Mm. the reason this is on my list is because this movie, I've seen it once. Um, Mm, Me too. I, I own it. And I think... The depths of which human revenge um, and the way depravity, yeah, mm. and, and they truly become monsters. Um, mm. I don't think the characters are redeemable. I think that the no. movie ends with such a bitter, horrific note um, of mm. this supposed life that's left at the end. I find truly horrific. The movie uh, had a lasting effect on me a very lasting effect and I don't think it's truly a horror but I do believe it has horrific elements to it I, 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 I'm going to actually disagree with you, I am going to say it's a horror film I don't care what anyone says there are scenes in that film that are more horrific than anything I've seen in something that is labelled as a horror film mm-hmm. um, That's that scene with the oh, with the tongue Oh, oh man! It just it makes me cringe just thinking about it. Um, the the thing with the octopus, yeah. the squid. Um, oh, it just it makes me want to vomit just thinking about it. But yeah, just definitely a horror film. I think. I think I I, I do think a lot of people would argue it's it's a thriller, but the places that it goes, I think it puts it squarely in the realm of horror. I, I, definitely. I know for me, it's a movie that scars. Um, yeah. Uh, because it's it's not fantastical. Uh, it doesn't have mm. uh, the typical monsters. It has people doing these mm. horrific things to other people, and you mm. kind of wish that, or you kind of hope that there's not people out there like that. Even though you know that those are the kind of real monsters that perpetrate the mm. world. Uh, yeah. So that that's my number one. I thought we were going to have a wee bit of an argument there, but I'm glad we didn't. No, I, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd put that in the realm of horror, definitely, because it, it is a film that's horrible. I mean, I, I saw it once, just like you, and I gave it like a, a five out of five rating. But do I want to go back and watch it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not in any rush to do so. And there's, there's a couple of scenes in there that I wouldn't mind sticking on again, just because they're really inventive, like the, the corridor fight mm. sequence. But do I want to sit down and watch that film from start to finish? <sighs> Man, it's it's heavy going. Heavy, heavy going. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on to next month's episode. And I okay. am going to shake things up a little bit. So this may be a one-off that we do this. We may do it again. Who knows? Um, but my choice of movie for next month is going to be your choice of movie. Oh, now, no. Now, you're not. No. I am going to give you five options, right? Okay. But I am not right, going okay. to. I I I thought you were going to say let me in. No. Uh, I thought you were going to say because it's a remake of the movie I chose for tonight. All right, ne- never mind. Uh, I Fair am enough. going to give you five choices of movie, which okay. um, synopsis I've kind of rejigged about so it doesn't give the movie away. I won't tell you the title. So I will read out the five of these for you, and then we will, <laughs> and then we will start to. Um, Cross them off the list, so to speak. And as we cross them off, I'll tell you what they were. 
Who does that sound? Okay. Okay. I want to hear all five though before. Sure. Not a problem. Yeah. So okay. number one is a a horror movie where religions where religion and science come together. And a movie about a priest that discovers a strange vat in a church cellar and calls in a group of physics students to investigate it. Okay. It's not deliver us from evil, nope. is it? Uh, right. Number two is a heist movie with a hint of humour as a group hired to steal a valuable gem which holds great cultural significance. Um, but unfortunately, the gem also brings them exceedingly bad luck as it always seems to evade their hands whenever they steal it. Wishmaster? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, next. Uh, a science fiction horror comedy that is a mix between Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Slither and a kind of zombie movie that is set with a loving homage to old horror movies. <laughs> okay. Next. Um, a vacationing man stumbles upon a conspiracy to keep a priceless commodity from its people. As friends old and new turn against him, he struggles to distinguish between what's real and what's not. Um, and I'm guaranteed you've seen a couple of these movies before, Brian. Um, and number five, in a colourful future, an everyday man is tasked with saving the human race from pure evil with the help of a very strange but very alluring woman. I know that one. That's got to be the fifth element, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> see, now I'm tempted to just go with that well, one. I'll tell you what, <laughs> since um, you've guessed that one, that'll be the first one. Taken off the list. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch Fifth Element again for some time, but uh, yeah, um, I think number two probably sounds least appealing to me at the moment. I can, I, I can um, run through. I'll tell you the genres of them if you want. Go on. Uh, tell us number yourself. one is a horror movie. Okay. Number two is a caper movie. Right. Number three is a horror comedy. And okay. number four is a science fiction movie. So which one would you like to cull from the list? I'll get rid of number one, because we've, do, we've done horror for quite a bit recently. Um, I, 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 yeah, get rid of number okay. one. Number one was John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Hey! <laughs> so we have three left. Um, so what are you thinking just now? I'm actually thinking I either stick with number two or stick with number four. Number four appeals because it's sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, number two appeals because it doesn't appeal, which kind of makes me think maybe I should go with it. Uh, get rid of number three. Get rid of number, number three. three. And you'll be disappointed to know that this is Fred Decker, the man who did the, the Monster Squad. <laughs> Monster Squad. It was his follow-up <laughs> movie called Night of the Creeps. It came out in 1986. Ah, okay. So the two movies we have are left. Number two, The Crime Caper, is from 1972 and stars one of the biggest stars of that time. Number four is a movie that came out in 1990 and stars one of the biggest stars of that time. 
One you have definitely seen, one you have not. It's one dog day afternoon. No. No. Okay. I would I would um, say that's a caper. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what you're going for, doesn't it? <laughs> um oh man. A heist caper, I suppose that is. A heist caper. Um I'm not sure I want to see a high escaper from the 70s. Get rid of that. Okay, you have got rid of Robert Redford uh, in the Hot Rock. And Doesn't appeal to me. Um, it's pretty good. And right. you have chosen 1990s Total Recall. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I recently picked that up on DVD from my brother, so it gives me an excuse to watch it. And... Uh, the top five. What shall we do? Let's do the top five Paul Verhoeven movies. Oh, I'm. You know, I'm not sure I've even seen five Paul Verhoeven movies. Let Let me count the Paul Verhoeven movies I've seen: Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. RoboCop, Total Recall. What else has he done? Show, I turned off Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> I turned that off. That that's that actually ended up being like my number five choice because I've just not seen enough of his movies. Did you see uh, Elf? what else? Not seen. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do a Paul Verhoeven binge before, between between now and then just so I can. Uh, well, he did um, Hollow Man. Surely you've seen that. Oh, Hollow Man! Yeah, I've seen Hollow Man. That's that's actually quite decent. Um, Bit of a guilty basic pleasure. Basic Instinct. Oh, basically, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, all right, yeah, I've got five. I've got five. <laughs> it's just it's just about putting them in an order, so, yeah. Um, okay. I'll probably find that there's some more on there of his I've seen, but, okay. So what did you think of that? I thought it was good. Yeah, it's a good way to do things. Um, yeah, why not? I, th- I think, good, yeah, let's do that in future. Okay, we'll, we'll give I'm it, stumbling over my we'll words. We'll so. for a little while and see how it goes. Brian, what have you been doing recently on your YouTube channel Brian Lomax Movie Talk uh, well I've been going through every Halloween film um, I'm, sounds fun I, I'm, yeah I'm wrapping that up soon I've got another another three reviews to put out so that's Resurrection the, uh, the highlight of the series I'm sure for many people uh, and then the two Rob Zombie films and then I've got a video coming after that in which I rank them all but I think after that, I'm probably going to make a little bit of a move away from horror because, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm done. I've, I've, I've been been with all these Halloween films for the for the past. Well, it'll be ten weeks by the time I've finished it, um, and I, yeah, I'm done. I'm I'm sick of it. I want something something a bit different. So, um, I, I wish I had something cool to talk about, like yourself, Brian. But on my channel, Man vs. Film, I've just been doing um, a bunch of recent. Asian movies that I've been watching every now and again I'd say get into a rut of watching these movies it's usually an excellent one that kicks it off and then I just go in a run of watching a few of these movies so I've got a few Asian movie reviews up there along with a, a few sort of low or sort of less well known movies that I've, I've managed to pick up and, and get screening copies of that's <laughs> what I've got going on in my channel at the moment um, so I'd like to thank everybody for listening 
Um, if you can rate and review us on iTunes, that would be fantastic. It really helps us to get noticed, allow other people to discover our uh, ramblings about movies. And we'll see you next month for Total Recall. So uh, just a little note to remind you that in the show notes below, there is also our social media links where you can pop along and see Brian's excellent take on the Halloween franchise or come over to my channel and listen to me ramble about some movie you've never heard about before. So thanks for listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next month on Brits on Flicks. <laughs>